Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine for a moment that someone you trust has deeply betrayed you. The details of the betrayal aren't really all that important. Perhaps you told this person something in confidence and they shared it with something, someone else. Maybe this person pretended to be a supporter and it turned out that they were manipulating you for personal gain. I suspect many of you are thinking about an event that actually happened to you at some point or another. You haven't conjured up some imaginary tale. No, I'm guessing that the prompt brought to mind an actual betrayal. Something that hurt you deeply at the time, and which still, if you're being honest, stings a little bit when you think about it. Our theme for today revolves around the act of betrayal. You may recall that we are working through a sermon series this Lent based on our God's call to return to him. We're looking at different events that occurred during Jesus' passion and thinking about the sins committed. My hope is that we will see that the ways that our own sins pull us away from God and that we hear his call to return to him because he offers us reconciliation and forgiveness. In our gospel, the betrayal, of course, is that by Judas Iscariot. He makes a deal with the chief priests and the scribes to turn Jesus over to them, knowing full well that their intention is to have him killed. Judas's actions are hard to comprehend. They are dark and painful and self-serving. We have no problem recognizing the sin in what he did, but it may be harder for us to see the sin when we betray Jesus in our own words and actions. We'll get back to that, though, in just a moment. But I want to set the stage first by looking at another betrayal, a much older betrayal, that of King David by his own son Absalom and his trusted advisor Antithophel. This is a story of betrayal, but it is also a story of how one sin can beget many others and how the consequences of those sins ripple out to impact many more people than we might expect at first. It starts with a sordid affair between David and Bathsheba. You know the story. He sees her bathing on the rooftop. He initiates an inappropriate affair. She becomes pregnant, and he tries to find a way to cover up the sinful liaison. However, his plan goes awry. So he ups the ante and basically makes the argument or the arrangements to ensure that her husband, Uriah, will be killed in battle. In the meantime, David is called out for his sin by the prophet Nathan. He repents, but his baby dies, and a huge rift is created within David's own family. One of the major impacts of David and Bathsheba's sin is that very rift in the family. Absalom, one of David's sons, rebels and undertakes a campaign to unseat his father and take over the throne. One of the people who Absalom enlists in his plot is Antithophel, a trusted advisor to David who also happened to be, wait for it, Bathsheba's grandfather. What could possibly go wrong here? Hmm. Well, as the story unfolds, Antithophel outlines a plot by Absalom by which he would raise up an army of 12,000 men to hunt down and kill King David. And Absalom, of course, liked the plan. 
Unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way, which is a little ironic because Ahithophel's plan would, probably would have been successful. Had David, but David planted a spy, Hushai, who outlined a different plan involving a lot more men, and Absalom chose to go with that one. Hushai had tipped David off to exactly what was coming, and so it didn't work out very well. Absalom died. Ahithophel died. And David retained his throne. But the betrayal haunted David. In fact, it even came out in one of his psalms, specifically Psalm 41, where the king says, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. David laments the fact that a trusted advisor, almost certainly Ahithophel, has betrayed him. He has turned against him and taken steps to try to kill him in order to place someone else on the throne. Betrayal is hurtful. We understand that betrayal causes. We've all felt it personally. We've all been subjected to it at some point, and that's why I asked you at the beginning of this sermon to imagine being betrayed by someone you trusted. It probably wasn't too much of a stretch for you to think of an exact circumstance. But what we don't always consider we don't always consider the way our actions amount to a betrayal of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Ahithophel betrayed David in order to put someone else on the throne, and frankly speaking, you and I, we've both done exactly the same thing. We've betrayed Jesus in order to put ourselves on the throne. We've denied his lordship before others, we've ignored God's commandments. And we've all sought to try and do things our own way instead of his way. We've treated others thoughtlessly. We've elevated ourselves over them, directly contradicting the biblical encouragement to count others as more significant than yourselves. What are the results of these betrayals? The gospel message is blunted. The good news is blocked. People don't hear or see the amazing love of Christ because, frankly, we have pushed Jesus into the background. We've denied his importance in our own lives. God urges us to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Jesus himself said that we were to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and yet, friends, our actions are exactly the opposite. They are a betrayal that avoids discipling by avoiding the sharing of the good news. A betrayal that seeks to make Jesus as secondary to our own ambitions and desires to sinfully elevate ourselves. This is not easy to hear, I know. It's a little bit like the reading from Acts that we heard just a moment ago, when St. Peter spoke in Solomon's portico and called the Israelites to repentance. He minces no words with them saying, You denied the Holy and Righteous One, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. But Peter's words here end with a familiar and hopeful encouragement. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. It echoes the invitation that we heard on Ash Wednesday from the prophet Joel. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Astonishingly, Jesus knew all of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew about Judas's betrayal. Sure, he had already pointed that out. But he also knew about yours and about mine. He knew that we would fail. He knew that we would betray him in 50 little ways without ever even intending to. He knew that he had the solution. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? God says, return to me. I want you to be true to me. But even when you fail at that, I have already stepped in to provide blessings. He offers forgiveness. He offers peace. And he offers the strength to turn back and to receive his blessings. No matter our betrayal, no matter how far we stray, that is always God's call to us. Return. When we return to God, we receive all that he has promised. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb, and our sins are blotted out. They're taken away from us. We are strengthened in holy communion and in the word of God, which offers us comfort, but which also gives us words to speak and stories to tell to others so that they, in turn, may return to their Lord. In him, all is made right, all is made clean, all is reconciled. May you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, be encouraged then to share this gospel of reconciliation, to turn from betrayal, and to return to the Lord your God. May you be blessed and strengthened in all that you do, that it may bring glory to him. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in the same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.